Hi, I'm Douglas Ferguson. Welcome to the Facilitation Lab podcast, where I speak with Voltage Control certification alumni and other facilitation experts about the remarkable impact they're making. We embrace a method agnostic approach so you can enjoy a wide range of topics and perspectives as we examine all the nuances of enabling meaningful group experiences. This series is dedicated to helping you navigate the realities of facilitating collaboration, ensuring every session you lead becomes truly transformative. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to join us for a live session sometime, you can join our Facilitation Lab community. It's an ideal space to apply what you learn in the podcast in real time with peers. Sign up today at voltagecontrol.com slash facilitation dash lab. And if you'd like to learn more about our 12-week facilitation certification program, you can read about it at voltagecontrol.com. Today, I'm with Dom Michalik at Pathfinder Product where he coaches product managers, designers, software engineers, and managers in product management principles and practices. Part of his practice includes facilitating workshops for teams looking to hone their product strategies and goals for innovation. Welcome to the show, Dom. Thanks, Douglas. Appreciate uh, you having me on. Looking forward to the discussion. Absolutely. It's great to have you here. So let's roll the clock back and just kind of think for a moment about you know, how Dom got his start in facilitating workshops and working with product leaders. What was some of those formative moments that got you into this work? Yeah, uh, I, I would say thinking about the past, um, you know, working as a product manager, um, there's a lot of different disciplines that product managers have to uh, interact with on a day-to-day basis, right? Uh, we're not the ones building the product. We're not the ones engineering it. We're not designing it. But nonetheless, we need to learn how to interact with those type of folks and uh, interact with the dynamics that they bring to the table day in and day out. So I think I learned fairly quickly as a product manager, facilitation, whether I knew it or not at the time, I, I don't think I had a term for it, but I knew there had to have been, there had to be something that I could do as a manager of a product to ensure that all these different disciplines, all these different personalities all these different skills that people brought to the table somehow could coalesce into something really, really cool. Um, otherwise, we weren't going to make progress on anything that we were trying to accomplish as a team. So, again, like thinking back in time, really facilitation was what I was seeking. Um, I just couldn't put a term to it, but I knew deep down that there had to have been something out there for these different groups to be able to interact and, and work effectively together. And so thinking back into the time where you were, that work was happening, do you recall a time when it became apparent to you that, wow, this is called facilitation or this is facilitation that's happening? Yeah. Um, and it took a really great facilitator to show me what was possible. <laughs> Honestly, uh, I would say, you know, we, you know, working in innovation, um, it's it's a lot of there's a lot of opportunities for third parties to come in and work with teams on a you know variety of topics, whatever it may be. And there was an early time in, in my career where we actually brought in a uh, they weren't necessarily called a professional facilitator, but they led a workshop with us. It was I guess you would call it a, a design sprint uh, these days, um, but it was only like a one day workshop where. Essentially, they were there as an as a unbiased third party to ensure that we were getting out of the time uh, the things that we needed to get as a team. And it's really hard, as, as I'm sure you're probably well aware, it's really hard to both um, participate in a meeting and facilitate 
a meeting at the same time. There needs to be some semblance of a delineation between those two roles. So I remember very distinctly walking away from some of these workshops wondering like, like what the hell was that? That was awesome. Like what did they just do? Um, and being able to reverse engineer that and, and study the, the topic a little bit more, I realized, oh, this is an actual thing. These are professional, these, these people are professional facilitators. They call them workshops, but they're, they're professional facilitators and helping guide us as a team in our decision-making and our idea generation and ultimately what, you know, what we plan on doing after this time together. Uh, that was, that was really cool to see. And it, it really sparked my interest because these were great workshops. I had a lot of fun. We got a lot of really great work done. I just didn't know like, what is this alchemy um, mm. that, that this person uh, used to, to get us to get here uh, and come to find out that alchemy is just nothing more than, you know, really great facilitation. Yeah. And, you know, that story rings true to me. And, you know, I've seen countless others have similar experiences where you witness someone else do it, or you're the recipient of a great meeting, a great facilitation. And especially when that comes in a world where you're used to really bad meetings or really poor facilitation, it's, it's quite, uh, it's, it's quite something to behold, right? You, you definitely notice it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was a humbling experience because I was the one leading those unproductive meetings uh, or leading the teams astray and just talking about the work and really not having any action items or decisive plan of action afterwards. Um, so it was both humbling experience, but also really exciting because I felt like, I don't know, it was like one like the, the itch that, that was finally scratched for you. you. You see it in action and you realize, yep, that's what I'm looking for. That That's really cool. I like that. And so once you got exposed through observing these facilitators, what was the first thing you did? Um, I The first thing I did was, and this is just my personal style, I like to kind of go off on my own and go very deep into a subject before I reach out to folks uh, to learn more about their perspectives or maybe um, where I should go next. Uh, and from that, I would say the very first thing I did was I, I bought the liberating structures book like and me and I read it like over and it's a pretty thick book. Uh, and I read it over the course of a weekend and it, and it didn't even feel like I would, it didn't feel like a chore. In fact, I, I, I was looking for opportunities to like cancel plans or, or move things around in my weekend, just to, like get through this book. Cause like, I really, really thought it was awesome. Um, and, and I think the reason why I did that was because I, you know, after th this workshop, I, I asked, the 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 facilitator like hey like what like what are these things like like what did you do like what are these tactics and i mean he, he said straight up like you know these are just liberating structures like the how i structured the invitation and you know how i structured our time together uh those weren't my ideas those are just tools that i use to help teams get get the things done that they want to get done so he introduced me to the book immediately i fell in love uh i read the book front and back and then I just came up from the surface. I tried putting these things into practice right away. Like the whole one, two, four, all liberating structure. I think even as advertised in the book is like the gateway liberating structure for the rest of them. So like start here. And I started implementing it immediately in my meetings. Uh, after that with my team, I saw that they were in fact easy to use and really powerful tools for helping teams basically surface the best ideas and take action on the ones that the team thinks are most important moving forward. So uh, coupling my, my deep dive into the book, putting them into practice, seeing firsthand just how uh, important and awesome these things were, 
led me to, you know, thinking about, you know, designing my own workshops and facilitating my own workshops. Um, and I think when we get to kind of where I'm at today, me understanding where those workshops felt flat is when I first uh, wanted to reach out and, and go through the program uh, with Eric and, and you, Douglas, at, at, uh, at Voltage Control. I'm really curious, you know, as you were starting to see some of this initial success and, you know, uh, getting to use some of the tools, what do you think was the gap between feeling like some of the things fell flat versus also feeling that tools were easy to use and you're able to make some progress, but there's still some gaps left to fill? How would you quantify those or what was really going on there? Yeah, I, I would break it down into like three distinct buckets, like skills, tools and behaviors. Um, I had the tools. I was using the tools. My skill set wasn't quite there yet. And the types of behaviors that I needed to exhibit uh, as a facilitator weren't quite there yet. So I would say, you know, the, the tools are the tools and they're easy to use, but it's almost like a uh, an apprentice type of a situation where you're introduced to a tool, you start using it, playing around with it, um, generating some value through using it, but it's really the skills behind the tools that matter and the behaviors that you exhibit through those skills that ultimately matter the most. And I think that's where the gap was. I had the tools, but the skills and the behaviors were, were lagging my, my use of the tools. Mm. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. You know, I talked to a lot of folks that just uh, are so focused on like, want to learn new tools. I want to get some more tools in my tool belt. And it's like, man, you know, that's great and all, but, uh, how about uh, spending some time really refining the nuance? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, and I don't think there's anything wrong. I think it's a, a natural progression of expertise where you have your, your fun and games uh, type of uh, uh, time with a tool, but then you realize, okay, there's more here to explore. I know how to use the tool. What am I missing? It's like, well, there's need some skill in order to use a tool effectively. Yeah. And, you know, so you realized these gaps, you came, you took the program. And then I think one thing that was really cool is we had an opportunity to bring alumni in. And we have these opportunities periodically. And there was one in particular that we were able to bring you into last spring, late spring, I think it was. It was really fun to see you in action alongside of other alumni as well. That's a personal kind of reward for me is when I get to bring alumni together and, and put them in front of clients or, or in front of real scenarios and situations. So I'm kind of curious from your perspective, what was that like as an alumni to see alumni from other cohorts and even get put into a, an environment that might be a little different than what you run into at, at Pathfinder? Yeah, uh, I would say what was uh, really insightful for me and why I really enjoyed that experience um, for folks listening to this episode is, is uh, both you, Douglas, and Eli kind of picked the tools ahead of time that we're going to use, which is fantastic because I didn't have to think about that stuff. But then it brought to prominence this, this topic of skills and behaviors. And I think having gone through the certification program, if I may, I learned the behaviors necessary to put the skills into practice, i.e. it was really nice to see um, a lot of things that we learned in the program surface. I don't want to say they came naturally because I definitely had to like think about this stuff and it, it might have felt a little bit mechanical from my perspective. But I definitely knew like, 
okay, before we go into an exercise, I need to explain to the team, like, like, what are we supposed to get out of this exercise? What should we be able to do because we did this exercise and really start from that outcome and then work backwards towards using this tool to help us get there. And I would have never, I mean, feather, feathering your cap, Douglas, I would never have thought of approaching these activities in that way from that perspective, had I not gone through the program. So for me, it was nice because I felt more confident in the ability to focus on the skills and the behaviors and you kind of took care of the tooling ahead of time. It's like, okay, now this is my opportunity to not worry about the tools and really focus on the things that I need to get better at. Mm, Yeah. I think that's an important distinction. And I saw some folks really have some profound shifts at that event specifically. And I think it's because they don't have to do the design. They don't have to worry about the methods or whether or not that got designed properly. You can really just lean into the execution. Yeah. Yeah. And and focus on the things that, quite frankly, I I see a lot of facilitators, professional workshop facilitators, maybe even they need to harness themselves and get better at themselves. It's it's less about the tools. Um, It's more about how how you bring those tools into the space that help people do the things they ultimately want to do. Yeah, and how you show up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So coming back to the Pathfinder work, I'm kind of curious. Clearly, when you're doing workshops at Pathfinder, you have to design the workshop. So you're responsible for the selection of the tools. And so it's the tools, the behaviors, and the skills. But beside the mechanics there, what are some differences? You know, you've got these cross-functional teams, product managers, engineers. I mean, clearly in that event, it was a bunch of folks that don't work together trying to create solutions for big, grandiose problems. But I would imagine you have your own set of challenges when you're working with the Pathfinder clients, right? Like they, they're cross-functional, and so they have competing needs and desires, and you're having to help them walk through those challenges together. I'm just kind of, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the kinds of things that you typically run into in your workshops. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things uh, I'll, I'll speak to the things that I normally run into and how maybe I have learned some tough lessons and overcome those early on. I would, I would come into workshops, not having done anything ahead of time to really get the pulse of the room that I'm walking into. Usually I'm working with a, a, a sponsor or a key stakeholder and the, the lens of the workshop kind of flows through them uh, or had, had flow, uh, uh, flowed through them and not necessarily uh, didn't have an opportunity to, to get a, a heat check from the folks who are actually going to be in the room. So I'll give you an example. Uh, I, I, there was a, a workshop I was doing. Um, it was an uh, objectives and key results workshop where the the purpose of the workshop was by the end of this workshop, everyone should feel confident in the direction of their objectives and key results. So what does that predicate? Obviously, people would have to be able to pitch these ideas and get feedback from these ideas. Um, So, you know, there's some tangible artifacts here that folks are going to have to present. Coming into the workshop, it was very apparent that uh, the vast majority of the folks had no idea what an objective and what a key result was. So uh, had I known that, there would have been some training involved on, on top of the workshop. Um, I, you know, talking with the sponsors, like, oh, yeah, the, yeah they've, they've done objectives and key results before. This, is, this should be uh, old hat for them. That was not the case. So uh, I don't want to say the workshop fell flat. We still, got, we still got some really good value out of it, but it would have been even better 
had I had a chance to get a pulse check of the team, like, hey, what is your comfort level with this topic? What are you most skeptical about? Um, where do you see an opportunity to learn more about this topic before we do a workshop together? Those, those types of questions that I now ask that I didn't previously ask before. Yeah, it's always our assumptions that get us in trouble, right? <laughs> and sometimes our assumptions are based on good faith actions, right? Like we ask the sponsor and they say, yeah, they know. And then we just assume, okay, the sponsor knows uh, has a pulse. And um, that always bites us when we don't quite know how people are walking in. And you just, there's no perfect, we're never inside everyone's head perfectly, but um, the more we can know, the better, right? Because um, to your point, it's like, it might not fall flat, but it maybe prevented it from flourishing. Yeah, well put. I wholeheartedly agree with that, yeah. So OKRs, that makes sense that y'all would do kind of OKR workshops. What, what other kinds of workshops are you typically running? Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll do some... Uh, I've really started to uh, introduce teams to uh, product discovery type of uh, concepts. Uh, so for folks who are listening to this and you're like, what, what's product discovery? Um, it's basically uh, a key skill in a, a product manager's tool belt that helps them make better decisions around what it is we're actually going to build to provide value to our business as well as the people we're building the products for. Uh, I, I don't think it's it's uh, a, a, a well-kept secret that a lot of times that teams will just build something, it'll fall flat, no one uses it, no one really likes it, doesn't really solve their problem. So how can we make better decisions uh, to help us get closer to something that's actually going to solve a problem for someone It's going to be a massive commercial success for our team and our business as a whole? So the workshops in and of itself really focus in on helping teams put a lot of what they learn in the training into practice. I, I, I'm very bullish on the idea of mixing in short training with, okay, now let's apply this stuff right away to see what went well, what didn't go well, what was awkward, uh, where did we flourish as a team, where did I flourish as an individual, um, and then take a, you know, take a step back and then maybe do a little bit more training and dive into the workshops. So these workshops are not uh, days-long workshops. In fact, they're, they're only like an hour or two at a time, but they're coupled with training on a concept ahead of time. So whether that's an asynchronous video of me, you know, recording of me walking through a concept or we do it live, I immediately want to follow up that training, that short bite-sized training with application of a concept in a workshop. So I want, by the end of these workshops, you know, we should have some semblance of confidence in our ability to identify outcomes or identify uh, the, you know, identify prototyping ideas um, that could help us gain credible evidence towards a particular you know, topic or whatever it may be. So it, it, it's for me as a facilitator, especially as I'm coaching folks, I need to see the application of, of content. I need to see, you know, what, where, where they're excited, where they're doing really well, maybe where they're falling flat a little bit, because then, then that is input for my next training on a particular topic, or maybe I need to double down on some things or, or rehash some things that we talked about in previous training times together and maybe where I can move on to more higher level or more advanced concepts, if you will. Yeah. And so you mentioned that these are one hour workshops and I find that intriguing because the thing about one hour workshops is they can often be really difficult because by the time you set the space and enter people into the space and get them comfortable and get things moving, 
then now it's time to like shut everything down. So, you know, in, in Caner's parlance, by the time you open, <laughs> it's time to start closing, you know. Uh, so I'm kind of curious, like, given that that's the world you have to live in by just the constraints that you're in, what do you find as some of your go-to moves to design on a one-hour workshop that's still effective given your context? I cannot stress the importance of pop-up rules. Uh, enduring pop-up rules, if you will, um, especially for teams that I'm working with over the course of you know four, five, six months, uh, ensuring that we know how to navigate the time effectively together and how we can help each other reach our destinations in a very um, productive way. I don't think without having those those pop-up rules throughout uh, our sessions that endure as time goes on, if we didn't have those, I think we would run into exactly what you're talking about, which is you know, we're just getting warmed up and then we're already starting to shut shut it down. Um, I've been very fortunate to work with very, uh, what I would consider to be, you know, high, high emotionally intelligent teams that understand that the rules are not there to uh, stifle them, but they're there to help navigate the time effectively together. Much like I, I, I use the, uh, the metaphor of like, you know, these rules are nothing, they're no different than stoplights and stop signs and yield signs. It's not there to, tag you if you do something correctly, but you know, you need to get to your destination effectively and these, these signs are there to help you get there and these rules are no different. So setting up a time with the teams ahead, you know, to say like, hey, what are going to be our enduring pop-up rules for our time together? Why are these rules that we select uh, important? Um, and having the team sign off on those and, and feel ownership in those has, has helped out a lot. So uh, having a, a space for time or a space for the team to come together and figure out what rules they want to adhere to with guidance. I, I guide them. I'm not saying, you know, like, go figure out your own rules, but help guiding the teams around what are the rules that we need to ensure that we are constantly abiding by when we come together for these workshops. It's the, uh, was it slow as smooth, smooth as fast. Um, let's slow down a little bit ahead of time so we can go fast as, as time goes on. Yeah. I like this idea of the enduring pop-up rules. So once we've established them, when we meet together in this space, we've already kind of set these expectations that that's how we will be together in this space every time we re-enter. Then you're like designing a long arc of a workshop. You're just kind of administering it in small pieces. Yeah, exactly. I, I would say one of the one of the nice things I really learned from the uh, certification program was how to properly design a workshop. And that's exactly what I, what I do. I use, I use that template to say, okay, what is the arc of our time together? And I use the same format for what is the arc for this specific time together. Now what's this, what's the arc for this specific time together? And are we making progress towards those outcomes that I originally set out? There were supposed to be, you know, four or five, six months down the line for this one week, where are we making progress towards those outcomes? So, yeah, absolutely, 100%. You know, I think also I'm picking up on something that you didn't explicitly state, but I bet is really critical to your success in being able to do this in one hour. And so correct me if I'm wrong, but I assume you're being really explicit about the one thing we're going to do in that hour and not trying to bake in too much. Like your objectives or, or your outcomes you're trying to drive to are limited in some significant way so that you can accomplish it in an hour. Yeah, I, actually, I think that's a very poignant um, call out there, Douglas. It, it, usually the outcomes that are 
some flavor of I want to, you know, I want people to feel confident in something. I want them to sense some new emerging, you know, you know, excitement on a concept, whatever it may be. And we do check. I mean, we do our in true voltage control fashion. We do our debriefs uh, to make sure that we either made progress towards or or didn't in some cases. I'm not saying it's always successful. Sometimes we don't hit our outcomes, but I always like to use the last 10 minutes of these workshops to say, hey, you feel more confident to now than when you walk in this room on uh, using, you know, your opportunity solution trees or whatever to think about some experiments you might want to run next week with your team. If I get thumbs up or people get really excited and they want to use the 10 minutes to, to uh, expound upon that, um, I know it was a success. But yeah, the, the outcomes are always focused in on some flavor of confidence or a sense of a, of a new ability before we leave the space together. Yeah, I really like that assessment point at the end of the session, just to make sure that we're clear on, did we land this plane or not? And, it's, and again, it, it's it's key. I use that debrief time as like, that is, I'm just going to be selfish for a second. Like that is my time as a facilitator to think, okay, what do I need to do for the next training session to close the gap on something we didn't close this session? Or where can I move on to more advanced topics if everyone feels very confident in their ability to to use these new skills or tools uh, with their teams uh, going forward? It's interesting that you use the word selfish because I think it's really in service of the attendees, right? Like if you're really being mindful of like what needs to be done next time and you're using the time at the end to be really thoughtful about how you attune to the needs, that's putting them front and center, right? It's just acknowledging the fact that that's necessary. And even if they're excited about doing something else, hitting the pause button so you can make that determination is really in their best interest. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ever thought of it that way, but um, I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm going to start thinking of it that way moving forward. <laughs> nice. There you go. <laughs> Amazing. Well, um, gosh, I'm just kind of trying to be mindful of time here. There's one thing I want to hit on before we kind of talk about closing here, but let's hear a little bit about this concept of coaching up. I know that's something that you're big proponents of there at Pathfinder, and I'd just like to give you a chance to talk a little bit more about that and how facilitation plays a role in this program. Yeah, I'll give you a direct example. So a lot of times I'm working with product managers that report to directors of product, VPs of product, group product managers, whatever. They have someone that they that they um, report to. Um, and I use a lot of the concepts in, you know, facilitation concepts in helping product managers facilitate or better facilitate their one-on-one -on -one meetings with the people that they report to. Um, I've noticed a need for this. Um, not necessarily, you know, facilitation techniques, but a need uh, that product managers have that, uh, you know, every time I'm in a one-on-one -on -one meeting, we spend less time uh, thinking about ways of helping me develop or coaching me in becoming a better product manager. We spend more time on status updates. Uh, a lot of these one-on-ones are, hey, what are you working on? You know, where are we making progress, blah, 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 blah whatever it may be. Um, and a lot of these product managers realize that you know, I, th this time really should be spent to help coach and develop me to competency or even beyond competency in, in the role that I play with this company. And so, I, you know, a lot of times when I work with uh, product managers, I structure our one-on-one -on -one time. So when I'm coaching them, I structure our one-on-one -on -one time to ensure that we have a true purpose for why we're meeting, 
that we have a clear outcome for what we should be able to do after this one-on-one session together. And that between those two paths that we make progress towards that stuff. And I quite literally, I say, you know, this, the way that you and I meet, I, as your coach, you should also be meeting with your directors of product, your VPs of product, your group product managers in a similar fashion. So use these techniques, use these tools that I present to you during our one-on-one time and see how they help transform your one-on-one meetings with the people that you uh, report directly to. So the idea of coaching up is giving and arming the folks, these individual contributors, arming them with the behaviors, the skills, and the tools to help make their time, their critical and valuable, and a lot of times scant time with their leadership teams, uh, making those more productive and more um, beneficial other than just giving a, a delivering a status update of where things may be with their day-to-day work. So it's uh, the facilitation techniques and the tools are arming them to do the behaviors necessary to coach up in their organizations and show in a lot of times, if I may show their leadership team, what these one-on-one times really should be used for and can be used for. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of helping others start to just see how leading in new ways might be more powerful, might be more effective. And, um, you know, what a great gift, you know, (laughs) just to show up and and say, hey, can we do this a little differently rather than saying you're doing this wrong, but here are some needs that I have. And then, you know, the great leaders are going to realize like, oh, wow, I should be doing all of my one-on-ones this way, or I should be running all my meetings like this. I love it. I I think something that you and I could not be more aligned on is facilitation really being the leadership skill of the future, personally. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I've, I've, you know, I've just read a lot of your content, and, I, and I, that is a theme that I notice a lot of times, and I couldn't agree more. But leadership doesn't necessarily mean the manager. It can be an individual contributor showing other people what good leadership looks like as well. And if you are able to facilitate productive time together with the folks in your organization, whether you report to them or not, um, it doesn't really matter. Exhibiting leadership is not a managerial skill. It's a leadership skill. And using mm-hmm. facilitation to put that into practice is a, is a great place to start. Yeah, and you know the facilitation and helping humans relate and collaborate and function better at work is only going to be more and more important, especially you know as AI gets more and more sophisticated and the more things become considered rote. You know, the idea of writing a complex thesis becomes like considered rote. What are required of our brains at that point and, and how we come together and, and fuse our brains in interesting ways? And I think um, facilitation is going to be more and more key to doing those things and unlocking that value. Yeah, I, I mean, I think as the, the amp is cranked up on the amount of information that's going to be flowing across our desks and into our heads on a day-in and day-out basis, we still need to be able to use that information for something to make some decision somewhere down the line with a group of people. And that's why I think facilitation is going to be enduring because as the amp is cranked up on information, the need to facilitate and guide what we do with that information as a team is only going to become more and more important as time goes along. Absolutely. And hopefully it becomes a ubiquitous skill because the more people on the team that understand the mechanics the better the team, right? Then the big team becomes almost like self-facilitating, right? Because everyone understands these things and they, we just do it and live it. 
I think that's a phenomenal state to imagine us getting to at some point. Yeah, I would love that. I think that'd be awesome. So I want to give you a chance to leave our listeners with a final thought. I'll say this. Even if you're a seasoned facilitator or you're someone who is just dipping the toe and is curious about what facilitation can and cannot do, uh, just being curious about you know, what's next, where you can get better, I think is, I mean, especially as, you know, I am by no means a master facilitator, um, but I'm better today than I was last year just because I stayed curious and I stayed open to learning new things. Um, I think no matter what, that curiosity needs to be almost table stakes for being a good facilitator. So that's just my parting thought is uh, do a gut check on your curiosity to learn new things, to challenge yourself, to challenge how you've been doing things uh, in the past to, to ultimately help serve folks with your skills in the future. Um, just stay curious. I think, I think that's really the party thought. That's the, the TLDR of it. Nice. Dom, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Douglas. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Facilitation Lab podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe and receive updates when new episodes are released. We love listener tales and invite you to share your facilitation stories. Send them to us on LinkedIn or via email. If you want to know more, head over to our blog where I post weekly articles and resources about facilitation, team dynamics, and collaboration. VoltageControl.com